watch the video. Watch the video. And subscribe. And subscribe. <laughs> okay, guys, let's continue with our study in Genesis in chapter 6. The last time we left, we were dealing with the issue of the corruption of the human race by demonic angels. And for a quick review, basically what was taking place where we had demonic angels taking women, human females, to be their wives and repopulating the earth with a hybrid, a mix of angelic and human beings. And the whole idea of that was for the corruption of the seed. Now this was taking place uh, in a dynamic way. It was happening a lot. And so therefore there was great wickedness that was spreading as a result of all of these things. God was therefore angered because of that and actually more so hurt. He was more so hurt because of that. And he de decided that he would bring judgment to the world. And that judgment we will see will come by virtue of a flood. But before that, God had found for himself a man. His name was Noah. And in Noah, there was something peculiar about Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord or favor in the sight of the Lord. But there was also something else somewhat peculiar about Noah in this generation. And we'll talk about this as we talk about the remainder of chapter six. So we'll begin at verse number nine. This is the third Toldoth. And remember we talked about Toldoth, basically it talked about the different sections by the which the book of Genesis is divided. And it basically talks about this is what became of. And so now the emphasis here is upon Noah. Third told off, verse nine. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Now, verse number nine, number one, we've already identified Noah. Okay. But since we're at this particular section, it's almost like a re-identification of Noah since all of the emphasis from this point in this told off will be upon Noah himself. Now it talks about a couple of things about Noah and that Noah was a righteous man. And then it said Noah was blameless in his time. And it uses uh, a familiar Hebrew word, tamim. And that word means, can mean blameless, but the word can also mean clean. And I think, and also clean in his time. Now the word time is actually a plural word generations. So it seems to be that the idea that the scripture is trying to say to us is this, that when we look at Noah and his family, that's inclusive at this particular time, Noah and his family, Noah was a righteous man and Noah was also blameless with the idea of the sense of he has not been corrupted. Remember what we just got through talking about in the previous verses. There was great corruption of humanity by the mingling of those angels with the daughters of men. So a lot of corruption through the mingling, right? And so it seems that there is an emphasis here that is being brought not only in his righteousness, but also in the sense that Noah is 
clean. He is uncorrupted from the contamination of the, hu the human race. You'll also see this word used quite often, uh, the word tamim, in the book of Leviticus when it talks about the offerings, that the offerings that are presented before God, to God, are to be uh, blameless, to be tamim, without corruption. So I think that's pretty much the idea that it's saying with Noah too, not only, not only about righteousness, but also about him, him being incorrupted, not corrupted by the angelic foolishness that was taking place in the earth at that time. Okay. And then it emphasized again, Noah walked with God, uh, uh, his righteousness. Once again, Noah was one of the elect. We would say simply Noah was what saved. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem means name. Ham means hot or warm. Uh, Japheth means beautiful. And these are the three sons of Noah. And we, we don't ever want to lose track that we, don't, we, don't, we always want to keep in mind the seed line. So never forget that we are dealing with the seed line. Now, even though we're not emphasizing the seed line at this particular time, guys, don't want to lose sight of it, but still that particular son through whom the seed will be passed is even here mentioned. We're not talking about him so much as for right now, but for the moment, his name is Shem. Shem will be the seed, seed son. 11. Now let's go back and look at the earth. Remember the earth that we talked about? Sons of God came into the daughters of men as we re-emphasize this whole point as to why God has decreed a destruction to the world. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. Once again, I think that's the idea that corruption, not only so much as the wickedness, I think the wickedness so much is being talked about in the latter part of the verse. But when it talks about the earth was corrupt, once again, what happened? Just go back up earlier. Sons of God saw the daughters of men. They had a bunch of children. It breed, it bred corruption in the earth. So we see the earth is full of all of this type of corruption. The human species is now being corrupted. And this also therefore leads to second part of the verse, the violence that is in the earth and the earth was filled with violence. So what we see is a earth of total corruption and total violence. So God looked on the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh. See, notice that for all flesh had corrupted their way up on the earth. So again, the idea once again is not only wickedness, but notice the, the idea uh, uh, the anthropomorphism acting as if we're picturing God as if he is a man. That's what I mean. God looked down. Of course, God knows all things. God sees all things, but we're using things as if God was a man looking with his eyes. That's what he's saying, right? So God looked down on earth. Behold, it was corrupt. Now notice the point that I'm making here, guys. The corruption again, not so much as the wickedness. Yes, the wickedness is a result of the corruption. Why? Watch what it says. All flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. So once again, it seems to justify the point that I was trying to make concerning humanity with the angels mixing with the humans and all of this stuff. 
all flesh, all mankind had been corrupted. And that gives us another picture when we begin to look again at Noah. Remember what we said about Noah being blameless? That word was Tamim once again. And I was using the whole idea of the sense was Noah had not been corrupted with all of this mixing of angels and humans and all of this type of matter, along with his sons and all of their wives. That corruption had not touched them. That seems to be the idea. Why? All flesh had corrupted themselves. Seems like the exception will be Noah and his family. All right, but let's go on. Hey guys, I need your help to build the channel. So don't forget, like and subscribe. 13, the decree of God. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence. That word violence here is Hamas. Just in case you hear about that word uh, being used in today's term, Hamas, it means violence. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. So here is the decree of God. Since man has now corrupted the earth and filled it with violence, God now responds with righteous judgments to destroy mankind upon the earth. So he says, 14, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make, make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. So he says to make for yourself an ark a tavath, a tavath, ha tavath. Make for yourself an ark. Now, this particular word ark is only used a couple of times. It is used with reference here to the ark of Noah, and it is also used with reference to that little thing that Moses' parents built for him when they were trying to uh, hide him away from the Pharaoh seeking to kill uh, the sons that were born to the slaves of the Hebrew women. So the ark is a same reference, the same term is used, the ark that Noah built and the same term, the ark that Moses' parents built for him as well. But nevertheless, he says an ark of gopher wood. Now, we don't know exactly what gopher wood is. Actually, the word is nothing more than a transliteration. That is, they looked at the actual Hebrew word. They looked at the word and they just literally translate, put the letters there. G-O-P-H-E-R. You know, that's the best they come up with because they don't know exactly what gopher wood is. But that's what God said, make it out of. And he also said, make rooms, that is compartments. And it shall be covered inside and outside with pitch, with pitch. That is to make it waterproof. Interesting enough, too, that word pitch actually comes from a word kafar, which means to cover. But anyway, we won't get into that. So he says, this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, is breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. So the length of the ark would be around about four, or cubits like 18 inches, okay? So it looks at about 450 feet would be the length of the ark, and the breadth or the width of the R would be something about 75 cubics and the height would be about 45, 45, I'm sorry, 450 feet, <laughs> the length guys, 75 feet wide and 45 feet uh, height. So it'd be about 45 feet tall. 
You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with the lower, second, and third decks. And so the ark will, will have this great window that will be going all the way across it, a window that will go all the way across the ark, and the window will be about a cubit from the top. A cubit. So it, it'll be about, I'd say about two feet, about two feet wide, that would allow light to come in and also fresh air to come in. Then the, the door of the ark would be set in the side of the ark. So that's how the animals, as we'll talk about that later on, will come in through the door in the side of the ark. And inside the ark, there will be three levels, or he calls it three decks. There'll be first set, first level, second level, and third level, which will probably be approximately 10 feet tall. 17. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is upon the earth shall perish. Now, notice he says, I'm bringing in the flood. He uses that term, hamabul, hamabul, hamabul. Hamabul is the term that he uses. And the definite article is used here. And the reason is because this was no ordinary flood. This was a cataclysmic event. All right. And something else to note, too. Not before this time, God watered the earth by a mist that would come above the earth. I think in the morning time, the mist would rise above the earth and water the ground. So no rain had ever been seen. So at the time of Noah's flood, Hamabul, at the time of this great flood, it would be the first time that it ever rained. Can you imagine that? And can you imagine how the people looked at the rain falling from the sky and probably dancing and shouting and all of that and all of their idolatrous praises and everything else, not realizing it was the judgment of God that Noah, who preached for these 120 years, was about to happen. They probably had no idea it was about to happen, probably with joy and excitement, looking and dancing in the rain that was about to bring their destruction. But nevertheless, let's continue on with the verse. So God says he's bringing this flood that will destroy all flesh that is on the face of the ground. And that is everything on the land. Of course, the fish in the sea would survive. 18. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wife with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds after their kind of the animals after their kind of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. So he says now in verse number 18, here is the very first mention in the scripture of a covenant. All right. So and also, too, here is where God is speaking of the covenant that he will make with Noah. We know that takes place in Genesis chapter nine. But the covenant that he will make with Noah after the flood has ended. So he talks about that covenant that he had made. 
Then he tells Noah and he what he will do in building the ark. It is made so that he will enter the ark with himself, his sons, his wife, and his son's wife. Again, the idea is they of all humanity have not been corrupted as what was taking place earlier in the book of Genesis. But not only them, God also determines to keep some of the the animals alive. So he brings in a species of every animal, of every animal group, the species of every animal group alive. And so he just simply names those particular groups. What does he say? He says the birds. So you're going to bring in the birds and the animals and the creeping stuff that's on the ground. Keep them. But now notice this. Notice now. Noah did not have to go out and find the animals that God wanted him. Notice what it says at the end of verse number 20. And two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. Notice they will come to you. Now, guys, I would just love to just diddly dadly with this particular verse. But the point that I want to make that is obvious is this. Noah did not have to go to the animal. Imagine all he had to do, let the little, let the little lip down from the door of the boat and the animals came of themselves. Meaning it was God who made the selection that is to be saved. I'm saying something for some of you guys. It is God who chose which of those animals would be saved and God himself led them into the ark so that they might be saved. Now that's another principle that we want to talk about much later on, but it almost begins to bespeak. It begins to bespeak of what we would later on call election, Ephesians 1 and 4. But not now, not now, maybe later. And they would come in in pairs, a male and a female, of course, for procreation. Verse number 21, as for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible and gather it to yourself and it shall be for, for food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. So God finally tells him and take food. And you gotta remember now, the animals were eating vegetation. Mankind was eating only vegetation at this time. So it would, would, it would only be vegetation that all of animals and Noah and his family would eat. And the eating of meat did not come until after, after the flood in the covenant that God had made with Noah when God permitted him to eat flesh. But anyway, so take enough food for you and for the animals because it's gonna be a long time on that ship. Then in verse number 22, stresses. And once again, remember we talked about how Noah was blameless and Noah was a righteous man. And notice, now we see the evidence and the proof of Noah's righteousness and also the proof of Noah's faith. The proof of Noah's faith. Remember, it had never rained before. And now God tells Noah that he's gonna bring a great rain to destroy all of life. Noah had to believe God. To believe God is to have faith. And when you have and exercise your faith, it is an indication of righteousness. And so it is here emphasized once again, as it said about Noah, he was a righteous man. Verse number 22, what did he do? 
if you are a righteous man, you obey God. All right, guys, thanks for joining me on that one. Check back with me next time as we continue our study in Genesis as we prepare for the waters of the flood. So have you subscribed? Why not? Subscribe now. <laughs>